The term evangelical is often poorly defined and frequently comes with cultural and political baggage. As the label has become more controversial, many Christians have begun to wonder if they should abandon it altogether. In Gospel People, a call for evangelical integrity, Mike Reeves argues from a global, scriptural, and historical perspective that, while it's not necessary to discard the label altogether, Christians nevertheless must return to the gospel itself in order to understand what it truly means. He identifies the theology of evangelicalism and its essential doctrine, the Father's revelation in the Bible, the Son's redemption in the gospel, and the Spirit's regeneration of the heart, calling believers to stand with integrity as people of the good news. Today, we're pleased to share an exclusive preview of the audiobook right here on the Crossway Podcast. Let's get started. Crossway presents Gospel People, A Call for Evangelical Integrity, written and read by Michael Reeves. Chapter 1. What are Gospel People? Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude 3 This is a book about being people of the gospel. In other words, this is a book about what it means to be evangelical. I believe that there is a biblical case to be made for the importance and the goodness of being evangelical. I do not at all mean to defend everything that calls itself evangelical, far from it. Looking around at the phenomenon of evangelicalism today, it often seems a mile wide and an inch deep. As Mark Knoll famously put it, the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is not much of an evangelical mind. The success of the label in the 20th century meant that more and more wanted to appropriate it in some way, leaving it ever more theologically vacuous. Across the world, swathes have come to self-identify as evangelical without holding to classic evangelical beliefs. And then there is the problem of how being evangelical has become associated with particular cultures, with politics, or with race. In other words, Evangelicalism today is facing a crisis of integrity. The evangelicals are being defined, and even defining themselves, by agendas other than the gospel. We need to go back to our foundation, to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, to become truly people of the gospel. So, what should it mean to be evangelical? We cannot simply look around to what we see of evangelicalism today. To understand and define evangelicalism properly, we must do as evangelicals themselves have traditionally done and hold it to its etymology in the evangel. Evangelicalism is defined by the evangel, euangelion being the Greek word for Good news. Evangelicals are gospel people, or people of the evangel. Some gospel people may dislike evangelicalism. 
and others may use the label without being people of the gospel. But it is a distortion of the very meaning of the word evangelical to define it in any other way. To be evangelical by definition is not to be of a race or of a party, but of the gospel. Evangelicalism, then, must be defined theologically. To be evangelical means to act not out of cultural or political leanings, but out of theological, biblical convictions. The subject matter of evangelicalism is the gospel, which is known through scripture. Or, to put it more technically, its material principle is the gospel, and its formal principle is the truth and supremacy of the scriptures where that gospel is found. It is a commitment to the good news of Jesus Christ found in Scripture. It is non-eccentric Christianity. That means that people of the gospel are evangelical, whether or not they choose to own the label. It also means that if something or someone purports to be evangelical or is paraded in the media as such, and yet is not about the gospel, they are not evangelical. Whatever else they stand for is not proof of the emptiness or shapelessness of evangelicalism, but only that the label is no longer being applied accurately. Evangelical Theology There is no single formal evangelical confession of faith one can sign. So, is there such a thing as evangelical theology? We've seen so far that, by definition, the subject matter or material principle of evangelicalism must be the gospel, and it follows that its formal principle or way that subject matter is known must be the truth and supremacy of the scriptures where that gospel is found. But can we say more without promoting some party agenda? Let us take how the Apostle Paul speaks of the gospel. Take, for example, the opening lines of his letter to the Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 1, 1 1-4 For Paul, the gospel is, one, Trinitarian. It is the good news of the Father concerning his Son, who is declared the Son of God in power according to the Spirit. Two, biblical. It is proclaimed through the Holy Scriptures. Three, Christ-centered. It concerns God's Son. 4. Spirit-affected. It is by the Spirit that the Son is revealed. We see the same when Paul writes to the Corinthians. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 17-23, 2, 1-5 Again, Paul is clear that the gospel, one, is not human wisdom, but God the Father's revealed wisdom. Two, concerns Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and three, is made effective in the power of the Spirit. And later in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle returns to consider the matters of first importance with similar emphases. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1-4 as before, the gospel is described by Paul as 1. Biblical. It is in accordance with the Scriptures. 2. Christ-centered. It concerns Christ and His redemptive work, especially His death and resurrection. 3. Regenerative. Though the Spirit is not expressly mentioned, the gospel is spoken of not as mere information but as a message of personal salvation. I will give just one more example from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Writing to defend the gospel to a people who are turning to another gospel, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, first of all, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. He then emphatically concludes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Chapter 6, verses 11 to 15. As in his letters to the Romans and Corinthians, Paul here speaks of the gospel as one revelation. It is not man's gospel, but one revealed by God. Two, redemption. It concerns the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three, regeneration. It brings the radical renewal of a new creation. Any definition of the evangel and so of evangelicalism must follow apostolic teaching with its essential qualities of being Trinitarian, Scripture-based, Christ-centered, and Spirit-renewed. It must, therefore, be God-centered as the gospel of God, Romans 1.1, concerning the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And to be faithful to the apostolic gospel, it must share Paul's concern for each of those indispensable three R's, revelation, redemption, and regeneration. In that light, I suggest that true evangelicalism has a clear theology, and that at its heart lie three essential heads of doctrine, out of which flow all its concerns. One, the Father's revelation in the Bible. Two, the Son's redemption in the Gospel. Three, the Spirit's regeneration of our hearts. These serve as a simple table of contents of evangelicalism. It is worth noting that this outline follows the shape of both the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, demonstrating that evangelicalism seeks not only to be plain biblical Christianity, but creedal Catholic Christianity. It is but an outline. My aim over the next three chapters is to unpack an evangelical, biblical understanding of those doctrines, summarized in this diagram. Then, when we've seen the defining theology of evangelicalism, we will be in a position to see how Paul's letter to the Romans gives an argument for the importance of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism will be a threadbare, washed-up cultural relic for as long as it stands on any other foundation than this apostolic gospel. But where people of the gospel have integrity to this gospel, we will see something of heavenly beauty and fruitfulness a heartfelt unity in and striving together for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That was an excerpt from Gospel People, A Call for Evangelical Integrity by Mike Reeves. You can purchase the full audiobook available directly from crossway.org for 50% off. To learn more, visit crossway.org plus. 
That's crossway.org slash plus.